Hello and welcome to IR Thinker, where international affairs are discussed. I'm Martin Zubko. Today we're going to speak about the Qatari soft power. Qatar is in a center of interest when it comes to soft power. We know about Qatar organizing sport events, we know about Al Jazeera, we know about diplomatic negotiations led by Qatar. So I think it's a very interesting topic. And also, at the moment, despite the unpleasant situation in the Middle East, I mean the war between the Israel and Hamas, there is also Qatar involved in negotiation. So I want to clarify why Qatar was the Qatari position in the soft power. And therefore, my guest today is Ariel Admoni. Ariel, hello. Hi, how are you? Ariel is a PhD candidate at Bar-Ilan University, and Ariel has also published already in uh, many journals, Contemporary Review of the Middle East, Middle East Policy, Asian Journal of Middle Eastern and Islamic Studies. Ariel is focusing on Qatar. Ariel is also focusing not only on Qatar as uh, one country, but in a broader geopolitical context. So I think Ariel will tell us a few interesting things about Qatar today. But let's start with the first question. Some people are not 100% sure what's the regime of Qatar. So let's clarify, what's the regime in Qatar like? So thank you for having me. Um, when, it, when we talk about Qatar, we need to remember it's a small emirate, small emirate in the Persian Gulf or Arab Gulf, that uh, is under the ruling of uh, Al-Thani family. That was a family that ruled Emirates since 1851. And uh, this is a relative rule that uh, the title of the emir, the head of the state, it's like monarchy when you pass it along. It's not, not, the king is not the the head of the state, but the emir. Uh, Sometimes you hear the title sheikh. And the emir is the one that in charge, it's not a democracy. Sometimes there are bodies in the um, in the government, uh, some council or shura council that some of the members are elected by the Qatari public. And it's important to note that it's the Qatari public, not uh, the fact that is a, there's a very large uh, foreign population there. And anyway, uh, the state is not a democracy, but there are some elements that that Qatar try to adapt itself to the democratic system, sometimes from a genuine care and sometimes, most of the times, for PR reasons. In what ways might Qatar's active mediation in conflicts be viewed as a strategic maneuver within the broader geopolitical landscape when we speak about the Middle East. What are the potential or potential challenge for the Qatar and how this influenced the traditional dynamics in the Middle East? I think that what I said before about the PR aspect and the genuine aspect is an important distinction when we talk about Qatar because most of their, let's say, policy or acts in the foreign affairs uh, sometimes will be described uh, in in the in the both in both terms. Sometimes we can see it in for in um, in, in the aspect of PR reasons. Uh, for an example, the mediation process, especially in the Middle East, is presented as uh, the country that want to bring stability and peace around the world, and uh, and we see it already in this war for the fact that Qatar tried to present itself as the state will bring tranquility to the place, to, to the Middle East and uh, Israel and Gaza. And uh, in the first humanitarian pause that Qatar mediated, some uh, newspaper editors that are pro-government, of course, uh, even claim that Qatar deserve a noble, noble peace uh, for a uh, Nobel Award for Peace, because they bring the quiet to uh, to the Middle East. But in in the essence, we need to remember that Qatar doing itself from geopolitics strategic reasons, 
And I think that uh, the mediation is an important tool of Qatar regime to highlight its, its, its importance and uh, to gain influence in the region. This is why we see it in this war, Israel and Hamas, the fact that both sides need Qatar. And we see it around the world in many places. We see it in Russia, Ukraine. They mediate about uh, the hostages also there. Uh, they, during the war and before it, they mediate uh, between the Venezuela and uh, the U.S., between Iran and the U.S. Uh, in Africa, they were also active in this uh, um, mediation. And the fact that most of the world actually turn to Qatar when we talk about mediation. And this is why this gave Qatar an important role or position or place in the global arena. And for that reason, it's, uh, as you said in your question, an important change for the traditional um, dynamics. Because let's say until the 1990, Qatar was a place, one article even say that uh, Qatar didn't have foreign policy. This is not true, but still, uh, it's an example to the fact that Qatar, until the 1990, is not in the focus of the world, and especially is not the focus of the GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council. And right now, we can say that the fact that Qatar, among other things, mediate between a lot of uh, regional actors, is transform Qatar into a state that the GCC in, in particular and the Middle East in the broader sense must to consider when they talk about uh, international policy. I'm glad you, you mentioned Gulf Cooperation Council, GCC. So, so naturally, I have two questions following uh, your talk. The first one, what is the position of Qatar in this organization? at the moment. And the second question, if Qatar is negotiating, why other countries are not negotiating as Qatar? So for instance, is there any like uh, competition between Qatar and Saudi Arabia or UEA or, or different countries? Because many people think why Qatar is negotiating almost everywhere, as you correctly pointed out. So, 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 this nature of negotiating comes from where? There is uh, an Islamic story that Qatar uh, like to uh, radiate and say that uh, there was a story about Mecca and the fact that the, the prophet uh, was the pos uh, want to position the black stone and uh, um, the tribes were looking to his help to mediate between the, the different sides. This is an Islamic uh, explanation, a nice one, and uh, but in the essence, mediation is important to to highlight the importance of Qatar to both sides. Now let's let's neglect for a second the Israel Hamas. Let's go to Russia Ukraine. Russia Ukraine, both of them needed Qatar, needed Qatar to uh, mediate on their behalf and on their behalf uh, to uh, um, bring Ukrainian kids to help Russia in, in their foreign policy that there were, there were several meetings between the Russian leadership and the Qatar leadership. Uh, and if we talk about Russia, and it, it's an example to the fact that it's not, uh, Qatar is not the only one. I mean, right just before a week, uh, the Emirates, the United Arab Emirates uh, pronounced that um, they uh, also helped in mediation to release Ukrainian kids. Uh, Saudi Arabia also held a summit to mediate between the sides. So I think that, let's say the, the big states, the, the UAE, uh, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, to some extent, Kuwait, but again, I'm, I'm specializing in Qatar, so I'm not going to specify about other states. But there is, like you say, kind of a race between every state, how they gain more influence. And mediation is important tool for the GCC states 
every state in its own game and its own method. The Qatari bring that to an art form because Qatar was, let's say, sometimes real politic in Hamas Israel is an example to the fact that both sides are sometimes anger about the Qatari methods or the Qatari MO. Because it's, let's say, it's not a pragmatistic one, but even a cynical one. You aid who you want, but at the same time, you can dictate them. them but at the same time, um, it's not, a, a let's say, a, um, a fond relationship. It's actually a, a more a, a cynical, realpolitik one. And this is why Qatar can allow itself at the same time to talk with China, the US, the Hamas, the Taliban, and Iran. And, and this is why it sometimes poses a danger to Qatar. Because when you are not committed to any side, to any alliance, so maybe at the end of the day, nobody gonna want to help you yeah and and i think we saw this when there was the crisis you remember the times when qatar was accused of supporting terrorism so so we had like four years i think 2017 20 or 21 when when you know qatar wasn't in a position of of favor of other countries because there was that crisis and and countries were divided so that's that's interesting point. And Ariel, when Qatar is negotiating, is it the family involved uh, of Emir, or do they have some sort of professional diplomatic corp, or or how does it work? There is a great expression in the U.S. Uh, those who speak don't know, and don't who know don't speak. And I think that in the GCC and Qatar especially, uh, the, this is a very important one to remember. But what we can tell that the fact that uh, the Qatari elite or the Afghani family is directly involved in the mediation. I mean, the chief negotiator is um, from the Al-Khulaifi state. He is the minister of state. Uh, but in the matter of fact, when you, you need to close the deal, uh, we can see it right now in the fact that both in Russia and Ukraine, both in Israel and Hamas, uh, the Qatari PM, uh, Mohammed bin Abdel Rahman Lafani, was the one that led the charge. He was the one that uh, visited the closet room and Sometimes he will be escorted with uh, the chief of intelligence, but the, not such the emir, but strong uh, members of the Alfani family and close uh, strong family, other families in the in the, in the in the in Qatar will be involved directly in this negotiation. Right. We also know about the Qatari foreign aid. And, and this aid is, is going to many countries. So what's your opinion about the honesty of this humanitarian aid or foreign aid and the geopolitical implications of Qatari government? As I said in the beginning, there is a distinction in Qatar between PR and uh, genuine and uh, um, real uh, issues. And the fact that foreign aid is an it's an excellent example to this uh, distinction because Qatar presents itself as a state that uh, donate to a lot of causes, a lot of causes that uh, some of them the West uh, more fond of and some of them the West didn't dislike, and we need to remember the. This uh, method is existing in Qatar for many years. I mean, uh, we in the in the situation of Israel, we can see the fact that Qatar uh, donates money to the to UNRWA or the Palestinian organization uh, from the 1950. Now there wasn't a state already. Uh, there wasn't a state then, um, but the Emir then. Sheikh Ali, already uh, gave donation. And the fact that it's look like Qatar want to benefit or donate money in the name of charity, 
And we need to remember that in Qatar, we need to also distinct between the Qatari regime and Qatari families or Qatari population. The Qatari population can donate money on the base of Zakat, the base of uh, Islamic charity. And they can donate this money to organization like uh, a Palestinian one in the name of religious uh, um, edicts. But when we look for Qatar, the main reason is to gain influence. When you donate money to such many places and you donate and you are present there in the fact that in Qatar, uh, we see the fact they donate a lot of to Gaza Strip. And there are a lot of Gazans that knows that, that there was a graffiti that was uh, sprayed on the, in Gaza about uh, Sheikh Tamim and uh, the current Tamir and his father, Sheikh uh, Hamed, uh, that he was uh, one of the few member, uh, few leaders that actually visit Gaza. And this kind of involvement can, in the pre PR reasons, present Qatar as an important role and beneficiary, and etc. But in the, in the in the essence, they look for influence in the region by its money. And is there any evaluation or assessment of this aid? Like, how successful is this aid? It's difficult to say because there is no accountability to where the money goes. I mean, for an example, Israel right now is exposing tunnels in Gaza. In Gaza. And there was a speculation about how Hamas built these tunnels. And there were Qatari architects in the last, in this decade that entered Gaza and the media was reported it. And the fact that the real reason, or let's say the, the reason they gave at the time was to help to establish a, a, a help to the locals. But we can safely assume the help also on the tunnels. So it's hard to say when we talk about Qatar, how much the citizens uh, are favorites most of the time they're giving money, so nobody gonna oppose it. But um, when the prices came, when the fact that there are a situation in Gaza or other places that the Qatar involvement seems too much or cause problems in the state, so this is when we're gonna see the problems arise. And this is when we uh, let's say examine if the Qatari help is uh, is actually helping or just an instrument that bothered the locals. Most of the times, I can say that because Qatar uh, try to influence from afar, uh, it's perceived in a good manner. When we speak about the Qatari soft power, uh, we must mention gas and energy because that's a significant income for Qatar. So how do you see the energy politics and Qatar's gas export in the major power politics? So a quick review, if I may. Um, when we talk about the energy kingdoms in the, in the Gulf, as one book described in them, um, most of them have oils, and Qatar also have oil that was an important um, resource that helped the Qatari economy. But in the 1990, they discovered the gas, and from the first, uh, uh, let's say, production of the gas, it was a political question. For an example, uh, the North uh, gas field is joined by Qatar and Iran. So this is why from the beginning, you have to consider geostrategic and uh, political uh, considerations. The gas actually helped Qatar in many uh, realms that in the beginning, nobody thought about. Uh, for an example, there was during this war, uh, there were speculation a fake news one speculation, but still, about uh, embargo of gas by Qatar. It's not going to happen, but there were reports about it. Uh, another aspect is the fact 
that Qatar can present itself as um, important uh, alternative. For an example, during the war uh, in Russia and Ukraine, uh, Russia seems unfavorable, unfavorable to some states. For, the, for example, the Germany preferred the Qatari gas over the, uh, the Russian, Russian gas. So these, these are the examples that nobody thought of. But in more uh, imminent thinking, we need to think that uh, Qatar, uh, Qatar declare that until this, uh, uh, this uh, the, the end of the decade, uh, they will distribute 40% of the energy worldwide. And during this war, even when there was a harsh criticism towards Qatar, they signed uh, along gas deals with France, Italy, Bangladesh just a week ago. Uh, and they make sure these uh, um, deals will be long-term for 27 years, in Bangladesh case, uh, 15 years. So when, uh, if, uh, uh, let's say the, uh, the, the atmosphere, will be against them, it's not going to help France because they already signed the deal. And in, in the same time, one other deal for 27 years was with China. So we are not, again, aligned to any sign. We are not committed to any uh, aspect. We don't. We uh, invested in the U.S. gas. Uh, yes, we are. Deal, we have deals with the Western, like Germany, like France, like Italy, with uh, Asia, uh, uh, with Bangladesh, and with China. So this is how we can use our gas to highlight the fact that nobody can without us. So that makes the Qatari soft power actually quite strong, because imagine that Qatar is financing a foundation in France or China or, or somewhere in the world. And if there is a trouble or problem, Qatar can argue with the energy deal. You know that we have a deal for energy. So maybe that makes Qatar a bit less criticized internationally. What do you think? Totally. I mean, uh, there was an example of the beginning of the war. And day two or three of the war, the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak called to sanction Qatar. Called to sanction Qatar for the reason they host the Hamas leadership. And just two weeks later, the same Prime Minister um, thanked Qatari efforts about, with the mediation. And just a week ago, his deputy visited Qatar for a long trip. There he spoke about the strong investments of Qatar in the UK. And in UK, you can see it, the fact that some politicians even told me that you cannot speak about, let's say, sever Qatar, uh, ties with Qatar or cut them off, as uh, uh, many said. Because when you talk about cut them off, you need to think the fact that invested in the water companies, in football, in so many realms that if you are going to cut Qatar off, you have a problem because the economy is not going to be the same. This is why the slogans in many places in the West also in the U.S., that uh, the fact that uh, the relation with Qatar will never be the same after October 7th, let's say I'm skeptical. Let's say I'm skeptical because many of the states need them, needed them, and they need them in so many areas. So this is why it's going to be problematic to talk about Qatar as a state that you just can ignore or... Uh, uh, treat like an enemy. Yeah, and maybe maybe you remember when the football championship was in Qatar, and we read many articles, especially from the European Union, criticizing Qatar for human rights, for workers, violations in, in Qatar, and, and all those things. But despite that criticism, those member states, they signed many deals with Qatar, and even the European Union was not against importing Qatari gas to, Europe, to European Union. 
you know, when the war in Ukraine um, started. So I think in some way the energy deals, they help to protect Qatar, to put Qatar into some sort of capsule. I think that's quite significant when it comes to soft power as well. I think that what's significant about the Qatari policy, that they learn from previous cases. I mean, the Saudis are in the past was uh, dependent on their energy status or energy power. But Qatar actually used the money to establish an investment authority and to invest in vast numbers of uh, ventures and initiatives in many realms. So this is why even, I don't know, uh, yes, uh, tomorrow we're going to, all of us uh, uh, going to move to energy by the sun, Qatar will still be a relevant factor. This is how, and we can see the fact that the gas has actually helped Qatar to promote initiatives also in the green agenda, or let's say uh, the sustainability uh, politics. So I think that what uh, was very sophisticated about the Qatari policy, they they didn't rely on one source or one method or one policy. They tried to do it all at once, and sometimes it didn't work. But most of the times, it's bare fruit. And as you study Qatar, can you tell us a little bit about approach to the renewable energies, for instance, wind, solar, hydro, you know, how is Qatar position itself to these new sources of energy? Because as you said, they have gas, they have oil, that's all right. But do they think in the future in these terms? First, I must admit that my knowledge is not enough about this, but what can I, I can say briefly, first is a desert state. So this is why they aware to the situation and they talking about it. But here the distinction made, made, made the scholars uncomfortable because when we talk about the distinction between the PR and the essence, it seems most of, most of the times that the Qatari initiatives are mainly on the PR side. The fact that there were events with uh, members of the the elective council to plant trees and to uh, initiate initiative to water preserve uh, preserve, but again, I'm I didn't I don't have a, a specified knowledge on this subject, but I think that we need to take it under advisement that some of the projects, the initiatives that the Qatari uh, proclaim, it's mainly for PR reasons. The next chapter is also real estate. Uh, we know that Qatari or Qatar invests a lot you know, in, a, in a real estate abroad. How significant is this pillar of the soft power for Qatar? I think that uh, we have an example from... Um, Hamad bin Jassem. Hamad bin Jassem was uh, uh, the, the foreign minister and prime minister in the, let's say, formative years of uh, the Hamad administration. He was the architect of the Qatari policy that's now so su- successful. And Hamad bin Jassem, and that many uh, football fans will uh, learn to who is it by the fact that he was he is, he is the father of uh, Jassim bin Hamed, uh, the one that uh, there was speculation about uh, buying Manchester United, and ha- and his father, the one I'm talking about, is actually the one that admitted in an interview that he was the the finance aspect between the behind the deal, and Hamed bin Jassim uh, as prime minister and foreign minister also buying a lot of real estate. There is an article about him, uh, about, uh, and he called the man who bought half of London. 
And it's not just him. There are others, uh, Qatari businessmen that bought uh, real estate in London. And there are also uh, heavy investments of Qatar in the um, U.S. infrastructure. Uh, there was a heavy investment in of Qatar in uh, U.S. infrastructure. And let's give just a minor example. In the, the second week of the war, there was a uh, was a, a, let's say a resentment in Israel when uh, in December I think um, in Qatar National Day. Uh, the Empire State Building was uh, in the lights of the maroon flag of Qatar. Okay. And there were Israeli um, websites and uh, media users that said how it's possible that a state that support Hamas, financially, the diplomacy, and etc., is <laughs> its flag is presented on the Empire State Building. But when you uh, look for the investment in this Empire State Building, you see that Qatar is invested in this realm. So I think that real estate is a Qatari way to have a, not boots on the ground, but yeah, a foot on the ground. The fact that everybody needs me and we are here. There was some uh, American activist that uh, do his, his support in Israel tried to um, protest the fact that Herod's uh, hotel in his street was um, was by uh, Qatari ownership, and it's just this the minor examples to the fact then that again you can't speak about Qatar is cut off when you think that there are buildings that are going to be vacant, there are deals that are going to be uh, uh, not, uh, not implemented. So I think that real estate is an example, let's say a physical one, to the Qatari importance. Ariel, let's speak a little bit about culture and education. In recent years, we see many investments coming from Qatar, and Qatar supports various foundations, museums, and you know donates to this and that. So this is quite interesting. And the second one is so-called educational city that Qatar developed and attracted some foreign universities. So now you know Qatar is also presenting itself as an educational hub, and and this hub was mainly built by Western standards. We know how the, for instance, Rand Corporation was involved in the developing of the educational sector, but also the Western universities that came to Qatar. So how how do you see, how do you understand culture and education when we speak about the soft power of Qatar? There is a saying in Israel of uh, one uh, foreign minister, Rabbi Eben, a familiar one, that uh, in Israel there isn't a foreign policy, there is, there is just domestic policy. He talk about the fact that uh, many foreign policy is dictated by uh, political uh, consideration. I think in Qatar you need to say the opposite. Okay. Sometimes it seems there there is no domestic policy or let's say a, a, a consideration of the population and more about the fact that how Qatar represented to the world. For an example, the fact that culture and education is sometimes more important to the to the Qataris than the what's happened in the state itself. The, some of the education initiative and some of the cultural initiatives were at odds with the Qatari population. For an example, in the, at the beginning of uh, 2000, there was a Oktoberfest in some of the hotels in Qatar. And Oktoberfest is a lot of beer. And there was criticism among Qataris that say, why? Why there is alcohol in our state? And the fact that the same criticism was sound by the Qatari population when they saw Western norms on their soil and the fact that there were universities that was mixed gender. 
a method that's still not uh, accepted in Qatar. So this is why we can see Texas A&M, we can see Georgetown, that all of them is run by Western norms. You can see a girls without headscarf. You can see the fact there, there are girls and boys go together. And there were Qatar uh, residents that even, uh, let's say quietly, because they're afraid it's not a democracy again, but ask why? Why this state is preferred the Westerns over us? And it was in, in so many places, there was a, a online campaign against the fact that Qatar Airways for a short period of time sold alcohol on the planes. And they even disable a, a, an app to know where the direction to Mecca. And it's, these are the minor example to the fact that Qatar, in order to promote its image, in order to extract tourism or attract uh, Westerns fond of them, change the, uh, the state from within in a manner that sometime was too much, it was too fast from the locals, for the locals. And this struggle or this debate is still going on. So that means that a soft power might have like two sides, you know, one side is for abroad, for foreigners, and the second side is for local people who might be, as you said, a bit of disappointed, you know, by the approach of Qatar. Exactly. Uh, for an example, there were the, the mother of the emir, uh, Sheikh Hamoza, uh, an important figure in the Qatari uh, administration, uh, still active today, um, uh, tried to explain why Qatar, although these problems, opened this university. And she said in, in an interview in English that she felt ashamed that her sons is receiving a, a, a not good enough education and this is why their heritage is actually uh, uh, in a problem uh, place. Their heritage is actually seems less vis-a-vis -vis, uh, uh, the West. But you can you can hear the the, the problem in in her explanation. I mean, she, she talk about the fact that this uh, the Qatari legacy is not well respected, and, and, the, and the, the, the solution for that was to bring foreign education. I mean, it's not comparable, uh, the, the problem and the solution. So you can't say it's apologetic. In, in the matter of fact, the fact that Qatar opened universities and allowed so many initiatives wasn't for the population, but it was for PR reasons and from outside observers, not from the local ones. And is this educational city successful as a project? Yeah, it's gained uh, a lot of attention, international attention. A lot of uh, uh, academic institutions are brought to there and uh, also uh, benefits from the Qatari uh, assistance in their home state. And the fact that Qatar, again, when we talk about the fact that he use it for political reasons, we can see it, let's say like that. Um, sometimes when Qatar want to um, vocal uh, opinion that is not uh, good for their intentions, uh, they will use the academic institutions. For an example, the fact that there was, a, a, let's say, resentment in Qatar when uh, the US veto uh, the resolution in the Security Council of the UN. And Qatar itself chose to, let's say, uh, not speak, not speak and try to contain itself, but the Doha Forum, academic and political um, forum that were in Doha, and American universities, on the, uh, under the cover of academic freedom, they can allow itself to criticize the U.S. 
in a manner that the Qatari leadership itself didn't want to say because it seemed disrespectful uh, toward Washington. So I think that, again, it's an example to the sophisticated policy of Qatar that the, the soft power is, uh, can be converted to uh, immediate political gains. Right. Ariel, what's about the world championship after, you know, after some time, we can, we can evaluate it a little bit. How did it help to Qatar? And are there any implications? So, for instance, Qatar will host different events, I mean, the world or global events for sport. And and what can we say about this? You know, because during the championship, as I said, we were receiving negative and positive comments from different commentators and experts. But what's about now after the event? I think that uh, it's important to note that before the World Cup, there were a lot of people that didn't know where Qatar is. Um, there was an article in the beginning of the first decade, uh, 2003 or four or five, that was actually, uh, where is it Qatar? Where is Qatar? And why everybody gonna know it? And this article was right on point because uh, just uh, before uh, three months, the Qatari tourism agency uh, uh, proclaimed that uh, the tourism in the state uh, was ju- was jumping due to the World Cup. And again, we need to remember the distinction between the essence and the PR, and the World Cup was uh, another uh, excellent example because they used the World Cup to promote a progressive image of Doha, and there were problems along the way. For example, LGBT rights, alcohol, that they needed to tiptoe between the population and the foreign uh, media. And the fact that the World Cup brought, all in all, great uh, support to Qatar, the fact that uh, most of the GCC was amazed by the fact that uh, this tiny emirate was suppress them. And now when Saudi Arabia is about to host maybe uh, the last or uh, let's say the two tournaments, uh, it's not a unique one because Qatar led the way. And Qatar wants this image to stay. We are leading the way. This is why the Qatar regime from the inception of the campaign to host the World Cup try to highlight the fact that we are here to present the Arab, uh, not the Qataris, the Arab. Uh, we see it in the fact that uh, before the champion, uh, Qatari Amir pronounced in a meeting with Putin and that it's going to be the champion of all Arabs. The fact that the cup was designed in a manner that will be resembled uh, Arabic uh, characteristics. In the fact that the Qatari mascot for the games, the live, as we they call it in Arabic, the player was with Kofia and everything. And the fact that in, uh, I think that everyone remember the, the finish line and the final. When Lionel Messi is dressed by the emir with uh, uh, the uh, traditional robe or traditional uh, clothes, this is a strong message to the world. First we're here, first we're Arab, and everything is happening from this tiny place. And we're gonna set the tone to the rest of the world that if you are gonna speak about the Middle East, you have to consider us. You have to consider what Qatar says. I also think that it was quite a successful move for Qatar that Lionel Messi accepted this, you know, because not everyone is accepting, you know, to take the dress or traditional dress from different countries. So I think this sort of like that little detail 
that Qatar was able to organize this in this way is strategic for me because I saw many world championships in various sports, but it's not often that you can see the winner, you know, walking in the traditional dress of the host country. So I think this is a little detail, but it tells the story. If can I add uh, the fact that the final was on December 18th. And uh, as uh, many football viewers know, uh, the the, champ- the the tournament wasn't supposed to be on the, in those months because yes. uh, and uh, there was the hard, the hard weather. And when Qatar moved the dates, it's not was just for um, weather, but the final itself was designated to the Qatari National Day. So in the Day of Independence, the Qatari National Day, the let's say the most famous fo- uh, football player in the world is receiving a cup from the Emir. I mean, the image that was presented to the world was overwhelming in so many little details that the Qatari regime uh, in... I say it uh, with, uh, uh, with respect. The fact that Qatar was designed or, or um, uh, the architects of um, very organized details until the little ones. Arya, the next uh, pillar of the soft power of Qatar is 100% Al Jazeera. Because Al Jazeera is everywhere, you know. You can watch Al Jazeera over the internet, on YouTube. And Al Jazeera has many, let's say, shows or, or talk shows where you can see the analysis, you know, of, of different events, different international issues. There are many experts speaking on Al Jazeera. Some of the scholars they put to the CV that they were shown on Al Jazeera as well. So what's your opinion about the impact of Al Jazeera as a pillar of the soft power of Qatar? It's a very important one, not just to the world, but also to Qatar. I mean, from the beginning of the station, we talk about the fact that in 1995, uh, Sheikh Hamed take the states to a different approach. His father was trying to be independent, but it was in baby steps. Sheikh Hamed in 1995 tried to transform the state into the situation we're seeing today. And he used many instruments. The most important one was Al Jazeera. Just one uh, one year after he rose to power, he uh, opened uh, this broadcast. And the fact that first we need to listen to the name Al Jazeera in Arabic, it means the peninsula. It's short to Sheba Al Jazeera, uh, uh, the peninsula. And everyone that's gone uh, when they hear this chapter to Google Maps, they're going to see that if you are looking to Arabian Peninsula, the peninsula is the Arabian Peninsula. It's not the Qatari one, but Qatar with this station was able to project an image that the, the important peninsula, it's ours. This little thumb is the strongest or a most influential um, peninsula. And Al Jazeera, from its inceptions, tried to highlight not Qatar, but the fact that everyone in the end of the day gonna need Qatar. There was a visit of uh, Hosni Mubarak, uh, uh, ex-Egyptian president, um, in uh, in Doha, one year. And he was traveling in Doha, and he saw the building of Al Jazeera. And he said, said, I didn't understand our building that sits in the size of average uh, Cahiro Hotel is causing me so much problems around the world. And Mubarak know what he's talking about. In Egypt, most of the the protest against Mubarak was uh, fueled 
by Al Jazeera talk show, experts, and like the host country itself, Al Jazeera is care more about the ratings or the PR than the essence, the essence itself. It seems that sometimes Al Jazeera was ready to uh, uh, cause problems in the world. And sometimes it was winning for me and uh, they chose to cause problems. Sometimes, and this is one uh, that was very shocking to Israel, the fact that in the beginning of the war, there was a demonstration uh, in front of uh, the Qatari embassy in London uh, for the release of the hostages. And Al Jazeera covered it. Now, Al Jazeera didn't cover uh, and don't cover these days what's happening in Qatar, especially not in negative terms. But anyway, the fact that all the world talking about that was a cause to Al Jazeera to broadcast the fact that it was a demonstration against Qatari embassy. And again, it's sometimes in Qatar and Al Jazeera, the PR aspect uh, is uh, defeating the essential one or the um, more, uh, uh, what seems to other more important. Arya, there is one question from my students. Uh, when we speak about Al Jazeera, and when you watch Al Jazeera, there is always written on YouTube or, you know, when you when you have different platforms, that this is like state-sponsored TV or channel or, or TV show. And, and students, they ask, how does Qatar face that criticism? That, you know, some people say, don't watch Al Jazeera, it's only propaganda. And there is the second camp which says Al Jazeera is okay and because there are many independent shows and experts speaking on Al Jazeera. So for students, what would be your message? How to take Al Jazeera when you're watching it or when you're taking some knowledge from Al Jazeera? First, they're right. Uh, Al Jazeera is funded and owned by Afghani family. And uh, some of, actually all uh, the man the managers of the of the broadcast or uh, the station was appointed by Qatari government. Even when they bring experts from outside, ninety ninety percent of the times it's gonna be uh, in accordance to the Qatari foreign policy. There are, as I said, with the demonstration and other little examples, uh, situations when uh, uh, raiding win uh, 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 policy objectives. But in the end of the day, Al Jazeera, it's not, it's not a trusted uh, um, broadcast. I mean, they have, they have, they had a very strong agenda, but and this is how, uh, when it's got tricky. The fact they were so good at it was uh, that sometimes you cannot cover the Arab world if you are not uh, taking into consideration the Al Jazeera coverage. I mean, the fact that there were the mouthpiece uh, and they broadcast a Bin Laden tape before two decades. The fact that some of the Hamas exclusive was on this channel. So I think that even if a lot of rightfully uh, people say that it's not a trusted organization or broadcast, the, the Qataris had, uh, had uh, no reason to worry. Because most of the Arab world, when they look from uh, good coverage on Gaza or the Middle East, they're going to go to Al Jazeera. I uh, say even more. Al Jazeera was a thorn to Saudis and the UAE and others. And uh, in the blockade you, you mentioned before, from 2017 to uh, four years later, one of the reasons was Al Jazeera. And the, their neighbors didn't like how they portrayed on this channel. But during this war, this current war, the attitude in the Arab street was more positive to Al Jazeera because we, know, we want to know what's happening in Gaza. 
and you are the main source of information. So this is why even a lot of people write when you 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 cannot trust what's happened on Jazeera. Um, there is no reason to be worried because most of the Arab world will continue to rely on these reports. One of the another pillar of the Qatari soft power is in international institutions. How is that country influencing international institutions when we speak about WTO, when we speak about United Nations, you know, UNESCO, and other, you know, like uh, GCC, those institutions? How Qatar is approaching those institutions in terms of soft power? And what can you say based on your research, you know, how active is Qatar in those institutions? I will answer with a weird case from 1967. After the Six-Day War in Israel, uh, the Qatari administration was donating money to UNRWA and uh, other organization, the Palestinian organization, to the refugees. And we have the telegram, we have the, the report from the QRC, the French Ministry of Foreign Affairs, that was worried that this Qatari uh, movement or this Qatari agenda, it's a way to Qatar to become an uh, independent state. Now, the independence of Qatar came four years later, but then the Qatari approach wasn't for that reason. Today, I can say that uh, the UN, WTO, and this organization It's a mechanism that allowed Qatar to present itself uh, as a member that is um, promoting um, peace, tranquility, stability, and other uh, objectives, and sometimes at odds with reality. <laughs> But um, I think that if we talk about the fact that in the Middle East, Qatar want to present itself, or the GCC, Qatar want to promote itself as unique. In the international organizations, such as the UN, Qatar want to establish itself as one of the pack. Qatar want to present itself as a reliable partner that you can uh, trust them. And there was an example um, before a year, seems like a decade ago, there was demonstrations in, the, in Denmark and the other places about Quran burning. And uh, most of the Muslim leaders um, uh, was against it and they uh, speak in the harsh words, etc., etc., as they expect. But the Qatari emir in the UN chose to speak differently. He said in Arabic, although he has a great English, but still, he chose in Arabic, like he's doing always in uh, international forums, to say, we are more mature to respond these childish acts. So again, the Qatari Emir on the UN in Arabic, although most of the leaders speak in English, chose to say to the Arab world, we are the respected one. We need to take it as, as grown-ups do. And this is an example to the fact that Qatar want to present itself in the international arena, not the Middle Eastern one, as a reliable partnership, as a mature one that you can trust, you can rely, you can be uh, in contact with for many political reasons. And this is how Qatar, as a small state, is crucial in the world affairs in this day and age. That's, I think it's very interesting that, that he speaks Arabic. You know, I, I didn't know that. I, I missed that information because I heard him when he was um, in the European Union and he spoke English. There was an article about the Arabization policies of uh, Sheikh Tamim. Uh, it's a manner that's uh, in, in internal uh, pressure, the fact that Qataris became too much Western, alcohol, etc., etc. I think that Arabic was one way of Qatar to say we didn't go too much far. 
we are still Arabs, we are still Muslims, we are uh, we have strong identity, local identity, and um, and this uh, and the speeches in Arabic, as you say, it's not always like you said um, in the UN. We can hear him in Arabic. In the EU, EU, we didn't hear him in Arabic. But this is a way to cut out, to present itself as the state that promotes Arabian policies, uh, Gulf uh, policies, Islamic policies. And uh, this is how they can explain to the local population and to the rest of the region, we are not neglecting our identity. Ariel, we are recording this episode uh, during Hamas-Israeli war, unfortunately. But on the other hand, Qatar is a significant player in negotiations. We read many articles about Hamas and Qatar, Qatar-Israel, Qatar-United States, Qatar-European Union. So let's, let's evaluate the role of Qatar during these conditions of war, you know, how do you see the role of Qatar? And can we expect some, let's say, progressive results or outcomes, you know, when we speak about Qatar? Is Qatar capable to do more for the Israeli-Hamas conflict? When we speak about the Qatari policy vis-a-vis Israel, we need to take into consideration two main objectives. First is how Qatar is presented worldwide or in the the region. And the second one is how we present ourselves, the Qataris present themselves to the Palestinians. I think that we can see these two objectives in this current war. Uh, in many ways that Qatar tried to tiptoe between these, let's say, uh, two aspects. Let's, uh, if Saudi Arabia in the beginning of the war, October 8th, uh, was more ambivalent and war, there was an example even to one uh, uh, former official that uh, even denounced Hamas, um, Qatar from the beginning um, said that uh, Israel bear full responsibility. And this is one example to how Qatar positioned itself as a party or actor that was in favor of the Palestinian stance. And during this war, we can see the fact that it presents itself as the player that acts uh, in the interest of the Palestinians uh, in many realms. Uh, in interviews of the Qatari PM, he always mentioned uh, what's happened in Gaza, but in also in other places. Uh, the fact that uh, Qatar supported Hamas and hosted Hamas and, and during this day still doing it. But at the same time, they needed the international community because sources Doha said said they was fear from uh, uh, international uh, backlash toward Qatar. After all, the Telegraph, the British Telegraph, uh, uh, presented in the first day of the war a video that uh, uh, show how uh, Hamas leadership. Uh, um, monitor the first attack on Israel from Doha. So it makes sense that Doha fear from this kind of response. So this is why Doha cannot uh, ignore the international community. So they use their connection, strong connection, to the Palestinians, to Hamas, to present itself as the uh, one player that can bring uh, peace and stability to the region. For an example, when uh, Secretary of State Blinken, uh, the American Secretary of State, came to Doha and held a press conference with uh, the Qatari PM and Foreign Minister, Mohammed bin Rahman al-Thani, he asked him to close the, uh, the Hamas office in Doha. And the reason the Qatari PM refused was 
this is a way of communication to Gaza and to bring aid, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they even try to suggest that after the day the war gonna end, we are gonna close the offices. They not say that uh, this way. They say it more abundantly, more in a manner that uh, the day after they can say no, we didn't mean this way, and etc. But I think this is the tiptoe that Qatar always try to maintain, try to present itself as the protector of the Palestinians, but at the same time, make sure it's not gonna cost them. Because if these two objectives are gonna contradict itself, for an example, the fact that if Israel succeeded and uh, to expel Hamas for good, I believe that Qatar gonna prefer the international community or let's say the image of itself around the world over the Palestinian one. Because we didn't need to go far. You need to go to the Palestinians in Doha. In Doha, Palestinians are considered as foreigners, such as the British and the Americans and the French and the others. Because when you speak about Qatar, at the end of the day, you talk about Qatar. They care about themselves. And it's okay because this is their state. But if they have uh, um, uh, let's say hesitation if they need to support the Palestinians or the Qatari objectives I think the Qatari objectives will, will win every day Ariel, the last question for today's interview we mentioned many pillars of the soft power when it comes to Qatar as a researcher what would be your recommendation for our students, our viewers to research about the Qatari soft power. Which areas would you recommend? Or maybe there are some areas which are a little bit under research. So you can mention those ones as well. From a scholarly perspective, I think that the sport region is a section is <laughs> well analyzed or let's say too much analyzed because it makes sense. It's more appealing. But I think that one of the realms that we talked before, the real estate and infrastructure uh, needed more consideration. The, there is a lot to research on this subject. And there are many, uh, even uh, news outlets, they talk about that. But I don't think that is there is enough um, uh, um, um, sufficient, sufficient uh, scholarly uh, articles and books that examine this realm. It seems, I guess, less appealing. So this is why, but I think it's not just symbolic, although symbols goes a long way in Qatar, but also a significant um, instrument for Qatar in uh, not only in real estate, but also is relevant to other realms of influence of Qatar in the world. Ariel, thank you very much for your time, you. for your insightful thoughts about this very interesting topic. And uh, I think we went through many pillars of the Qatari soft power. So that's a quite nice explanation of how Qatar is positioning itself in the international relations. And also you made many comments that might be very interesting for research, for future maybe work uh, of junior researchers, of my students or other students. So again, thank you very much for being on Aria Thinker. I wish you good luck to your work, to your research, and uh, see you next time. Thank you very much.